0: You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Allison, and this week we're talking about Nordic Food Labs' five-part series on vinegars. All this and more in episode 61. So have you ever had any milk at the store that's really on sale? Like way discounted price, like based on date?
1: No, I don't know if I've ever come into that kind of problem. Um, I actually don't even know where you would find that in the grocery store the discounted milk.
0: no, but that's not a problem. It's actually a really good thing like I, I i I've had it once well, I've had it twice now, twice in my life where it's happened that I go to the grocery store to get a gallon of milk or more if I'm making cheese or something like that, but get some get some milk for for making yogurt and then mm-hmm. I'm surprised by like a sticker or a sale sign that says you know it's like the clearance it's like dollar for a gallon of organic milk or you know just discounted in general but like when it's the extreme discounts like when a gallon of milk costs about 650 or so and then it's discounted to 99 cents that's like crazy
1: that's an amazing deal i don't i don't know if i've ever seen that but i i mean that's not a fermentation like a problem if you're making cheeses in in the fermentation world but um you know i i've never I've never seen that well, that's no. when it's like it's because sometimes I think
0: like for certain fermentations, sure, we think about preservation, it's a way to preserve things uh but then with dairy, a lot of times obviously with cheese, it's not that way, I think, but with when it comes to yogurt, it's not so much the case, it's like. It's like, well, yeah, it's preserving it, but not too much longer than it would last. But this is a great example of how, yeah, exactly. This is going to – this is the sell-by date is today or tomorrow and they are discounting it so low because people have to drink it. People have to buy it. Otherwise, they're going to have to dispose of it and then I can take a lot of it home and uh, preserve it.
1: And- so when you came into this uh, – not necessarily problem as I just called it, but do you buy like five gallons of this, of this milk? And try to save it? Or do you just buy the one gallon because you don't want to overdo it and have too much spoiled milk? Well, the
0: first thought that crosses my mind is like, let's clear out this entire place, get every single one. And then I start to think it's like, well, maybe there's someone else that's going to want this, this wonderful discount. But then I think, well, is anyone else going to ferment it? That's like the best thing to do with it. And I'm not, it's not like this is going to go to waste. So I kind of go back and forth and because I I know how excited I am when I see it, I kind of usually will leave something for someone else so they at least can get something. But this time it actually wasn't the gallons that were on, because it was kind of a, probably not that interesting, but you know, I saw that, that they actually had the organic gallon milks, $2 off. I was like, oh, that's a good deal. Let's, let's get some of that. And I was actually with my son and he had one of those little push carts, like the little kid versions. Do you have any of those in mm-hmm. the grocery stores?
1: Yeah, I've seen him around.
0: Yeah. We, well, he was he was pushing that and I'm like, oh, we have to... Sorry, kid. We're going to have to go get a bigger cart because the milk's on sale today. So you're not going to be able to push a, a few <laughs> gallons of <laughs> milk. Um, and then uh, as I was about to go with him to get that, then I saw, wait a minute, that's not a like sale for a dollar off. Like It wasn't the gallons, but it was the... Like the the nicer organic milks that we have that are are non homogenized, low vat pasteurized, uh, you know, for for getting into the grocery store, it's, it's the best kind that I've seen. Yeah, uh, and great that, for making and, cheese.
1: And it's really expensive. I mean, I've seen it. Um, there's, I know exactly what kind of milk you're talking about. I've seen it here, and those are usually um, like eight, nine, ten dollars, depending on where you go. So, I well, mean, yeah, and especially very like, expensive.
0: Like these were in the the quart size. So they would have been even more expensive. Like, because Mm -hmm. I saw in tiny print, it's like save like $4 and it was only a dollar. So I, I mean, once I finally processed that, I'm like, wait a minute. So I can get four of these and that's $4. That's still cheaper than the gallon that I could get separate. And then I, then I saw the big, big thing because I love to make uh, fermented heavy whipping cream either for actually whipping it up or for a sour cream of sorts or for any kind of reasons why I might want cream. And that was discounted like $6. It was down to a dollar for a quart of that as well. So it was it was a good day last week or a week ago. I don't remember even remember when it was, but I'm still enjoying all of the, the fermented dairy from it and none of it went bad. And I'm enjoying it well beyond the expiration date because the power of, of fermented dairy.
1: Yeah. No, that's amazing. I'm going to have to check out the um, dairy aisle, a little close. Maybe, maybe I just have never noticed it or never have taken any, haven't really taken the time to notice it. Cause sometimes when I go to the grocery store, especially if it's to get milk and eggs, I mean, we go through milk pretty fast in our house. I just go in, run in and grab it and then leave. I don't really sometimes take the time to look. So I'll have to try to find that deal and see if it's out here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a great deal. <laughs>
0: yeah. It was Well, it's, It's happened to me like what twice now in the last three years, so it's not like it's very often. But hey, it feels really good when it does, and it's good to know that I can do something with it where it's not going to go to waste.
1: Right, right. Hmm. Interesting. That's really that's a great find. But that also is a great segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is um, I besides spoiled or not anything about spoiled milk, but about vinegar.
0: Spoiled alcohol, I guess.
1: Spoiled alcohol. Yeah. or
0: alco- alcohol. Well, I guess you don't really have the expiration dates on alcohol, but let's just say there was that be the case. You saw a bunch of discounted alcohol because it was about to expire, turn it into vinegar or drink or, or risk drinking it all on the, <laughs> all in, before it expires. Yeah.
1: I If mean, that was alcohol, the case. Yeah. Alcohol doesn't really have an expiration or it does not have an expiration date, but it would, I think a lot of people would take advantage of, of the not making vinegar, but of uh, discounted liquor. That just Um, sounds
0: like a disaster if there was like discounted liquor, like it was mm -hmm. for that milk.
1: Yeah. I just, I think a lot of people would go overboard with it and just have a huge party Um, and use it for not making other foods like what you did with your, with your discounted milk. But um, you know, just.
0: (laughs) now now that we've pretty much completely destroyed the segue into this, uh, but yeah, but vinegar, I mean, have you ever made vinegar?
1: I haven't I have a friend who tried who tried to make vinegar um a few years ago but she was not successful only because I don't think she really knew what she was doing she it was just more of like hey I'm going to make some wine and um but then I'm going to add some acetic acid to it and just let it sit cuz then it'll eventually turn into vinegar um and it sat for 2 years I want to say this was like a long time ago um it sat for two years and I remember seeing it every time I go and see her uh, and it never formed any sort of uh, acetic acid, mother like um, on the top, um, like the, the acetic acid on the top um, and it never tasted or smelled like vinegar. It was just wine, just really old, bad wine. So, but I've never done it. Have you? I've made,
0: say, kombucha vinegar, and actually, I've made vinegar from from wine. I, these are more accidents, more than than purposeful. Although the kombucha vinegar, I do enjoy that, so I I kind of purposely will let kombucha over become over vinegar, just to, if I am not really making it very much, and and that's great to use for salad dressings and whatnot. But no, I've never actually sat out to like let's get these acetic bacteria doing their thing to make vinegar on purpose. But then again, there are people that are do that all the time. And if anyone wants a really in-depth, really in-depth steps, process thoughts about vinegar making, that's what we're going to talk about today because the Nordic food lab, which I do, I love their stuff and, just mainly because they cover a lot of things with fermentation. Not everything that they do is fermentation, but they do cover a lot of things that are fermentation, but they like to take really deep dives into it. And they are also trying to create novel items at times. I mean, a lot of times they're trying to take old traditional methods and see what can they do to make it different. And it's not just a a superficial, like let's see if we can jazz this up or do something to it. It's like, no, it's like, let's actually evaluate all the aspects of creating this as is evaluate what ingredients could we use instead or what processes we could alter, but still keep to the same kind of concept and end up, see what we end up with. And then at that point, then evaluate everything they've done up to that step, as well as the final product. Is it what they wanted? Is it not? And then keep going from there. So it's a, it's a very uh, systematic approach that they take to these kind of things. I mean, at Nordic Food Lab, I mean, it's kind of a food laboratory.
1: Yeah, they do a great job on um, really explaining um, not only the process that they're doing, but the – they they really sit down and take the time and do – think about it, think about what they need, think about the, f- the future for that fermentation or that um, – because it's not all about fermentation. They do other things besides fermented foods, um, whatever the cake is that they're making and um, just the forethought that it is involved because it seems like a lot of the stuff that they do – involves manipulating uh the ingredients the recipe might be the same or maybe tweaked a little bit and the idea may be the same but the recipe is always different or i'm sorry the ingredient is somehow different and so anyway about this vinegar science mini series that they did i think it started in december when they first when they posted the first one um and if you just want a really good background of vinegar and how it's made and the science of it, I think this is a really great resource. Um, and they have a little blurb, an overview of just basically how to, how vinegar is made um, in a very short paragraph. But then they kind of go into more depth about it and talk about how they're going to not only make different types of vinegar, but also how they're going to evaluate them and um, really do some sensorial analysis on it too.
0: Yeah. And so the, the nice thing with that first one that they're doing is they just kind of lay out the groundwork. That's like, that's, it's nice and an easy transition into like the, the deep dive that they're going to take. So at first, like I think I saw that first one back in, uh, in December or wherever, whenever I caught it before they had any other ones. And it was like, okay, this, this seems kind of cool. Yeah. Maybe I want to do some of this stuff, but then once they like start diving in deep, then it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm hooked. I want to do this. Of course it's, been a few months and I still haven't done anything with it, but I I'm, I'm really excited too. Um, but the, the, the nice thing that they were breaking down is that they're again, trying to create new foods, novel foods. And so the, what they're doing is in things with fermentation, they're beginning by looking at the microbial, uh, microbiology of these older world foods. And they chose this time to look at, let's look at traditional grape vinegar. And then figure out what's most important and what they, they were looking at was the salinity, the acidity, the oxygenation, the, the ratio of exposed surface area to volume, which is, which is something that also comes up in, in kombucha and SCOBY growth and different things like that. They, they're, they're looking at these kind of things and then seeing what they can do to how they can apply different things to it, to not only make it go faster, go different, do different things. Um, but, but what they're, what they just, pretty much broke it down as, is that if you had taken alcoholic liquid, that's, uh, I mean, or a liquid that's somewhat acidic, it contains ethyl alcohol from five to 18%, acetic bacteria, and then oxygen, and you're going to get vinegar. So like your friend, like must've had one of those things being off, maybe not enough oxygen.
1: I think that's it. She um, had an airlock on it, but um, it was in a very small bottle. Um, And it's funny that I, I think that was basically the major problem. Is she didn't have enough surface area. I also don't think the culture was that she used um, was large enough. Um, because even though acetic acid thrives in an alcoholic environment, so you know if you don't have the right population or starting culture, then it just takes a really long time for them to grow up to the right population to start creating um, acetic acid and converting the alcohol to acetic acid. So. I think that was also a problem that she had.
0: Well, yeah. When I hear that too, I hear that's like, well, if she had an airlock on there and she started with just uh, without us, did she have a starter in there? Did she or she just started with the, the alcohol?
1: No, she um, added a starter. I okay. think she I think she eventually split it off. Um, she had maybe a gallon of wine uh and just added um acetic acid just just from um the internet or something like that just poured it in there didn't really do anything to make sure that it was healthy um and maybe do a few days of propagation to you know kind of get it used to the environ the alcoholic environment that she was going to inoculate it into um and then i and then i think eventually it's because she knew that it, nothing was happening she um bought uh, the Bra- – I think it's Bragg's um, vinegar that has yeah. the mother in it and just uh, transferred that into um, the wine. And she still didn't have much going on I think after a few months. So I think she eventually gave up. I mean this is like a few oh, – I think it went on for two years or something that she just kind of fiddled around with it and never got anything out of it. But um, I, I just think that it just – she didn't have enough – not only enough air – um, because in, the, in the, um, the first part of this Nordic Food Lab um, sci- vinegar science, there's a red link that will take you to um, a – I think if you click on – I believe it's, it says airlock. Um, oh, no. I'm sorry. Um, there's another link on the actual webpage here that will take you to a place where they've done previous experiments with diagrams um that show stuff about um the orleans method and how um using a fish pump really helps to aerate aerate the fermentation to get it really going and stuff like that so um just some cool things like that did you happen to stumble upon that when you were looking at this
0: Yeah, the, the, that's definitely in like the first part. And then in the second, uh, like the part two where they really go into depth about how to do that, but they, they talk about it. It's like, if you want to make it faster, ferment, get those acidic bacteria working faster, they really need more oxygen. And one of those ways to do it is with a, with a little air pump. I mean, I use a, an aquarium air pump for, for keeping a stable temperature throughout a, a, water temperature controlled tank, or I guess my little incubator that I use for Koji and for Tempe. And uh, I think I've talked about that a little bit before, but it works greatest for, for throwing that through. And then for the mold aspect of it, it does create maybe a little bit more fresh air intake in there because I keep a little bit of crack in my incubator, push that through. But, but for specifically for, for vinegar, you can also run that aerator with the air stone inside the vinegar and just force air through it a lot. At, at way faster processing, like in the part two, they said that you can make a batch of vinegar in three to six days. So that's, that's pretty fast.
1: Yeah. I mean, compared to my friend who it took her, I mean, she still wasn't again, I, I keep repeating myself here. Um, it, she didn't even have any success after two years and just finally dumped the whole thing. Um, so I definitely think it had to have been an aeration issue just because it, If, if someone can do this with a, um, an aquarium bubbler and have vinegar in three to six days compared to two years where it just literally sat there, um, you know, that I think that was the main limiting factor for her vinegar fail.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's even way crazier methods of doing this on a commercial scale that like there's, you can pump it through wood chips. I guess that's not that crazy, but you can pump it through wood chips and also speed up the process two mm-hmm. days or weeks. But then there's like turbine-like structures that they talked about in the in the first one where there's f- forced air th- through large tanks and then they can make vinegar in less than 20 hours.
1: Yeah, I read that too. It's the very last paragraph. And, um, you know, I'm never really... I know how in the wine industry, um, you know, we, you briefly talk about vinegar and how that's not a good thing and you don't want acetic acid, uh, bacteria. So, you know, you, you briefly mention it and you kind of have an idea of how, um, vinegar is made in the winery, but I had no idea how it was made, um, industrially until I read this very last paragraph and it just kind of, uh, made me go down the rabbit hole. Of, Thinking of other things um, that, are other ways of making vinegar. So it was really interesting. I had no idea that if you, it makes complete sense. If you um, have a turbine structure that forces air through that large tank, you can and you increase the aeration and maximize it and figure out how to maximize it. Um, you can make vinegar in you know a snap of a finger.
0: Yeah, because it really sounds like that is the key. Oxygen, oxygen, oxygen. And then, of course, uh, enough acidic bacteria to – I mean, I, I wonder what the ratio, how that might change of how much of a acidic bacteria starter wouldn't be necessary at that level, less, more. I don't know. I, I It's – it is fascinating though that that it really seems like the key is that that that's what slows down the acetic bacteria otherwise it seems like they are just prolific and they can just wipe out that all that oxygen or I mean all that alcohol and turn it into acetic acid.
1: Um, yeah, I I think it's really it's a really cool type of bacteria that creates this really weird fermentation because it's it's not I mean it's it falls in the category of fermented foods but it's not really a fermentation because you're ox- you know you're using oxygen to make it and you need oxygen and um in the chemical world it's it's the type of reaction um is not really a good one Um, They're taking something that you usually want, ethanol, and creating something that is kind of considered stinky and bad, acetic acid. Um, So it's just kind of a funny fermentation, air quotes, because it's not really one and it's kind of backwards.
0: Yeah, colloquially it's fermentation, but then scientifically or biologically it's not. And so that's where the terms do get kind of confusing at times. But it's so much a part of the same kind of processes uh, processes other than the uh, oxygen. I mean, it, it's like, that seems to be like the key that really changes it and makes it something, something different or more confusing, but it's kind of like all the molds are different things. I mean, that also need oxygen and they're still considered fermentation and they're still part of everything that we can talk about in this, this podcast, at least because they're really awesome too. And so there, there are these, these oddballs that sure we'll lump them in, but they're not really, fermentation by certain people's standards, mm-hmm. but uh, their fermentation in my book, because it's like, it's still, it's, they're close enough. They're not exactly the same processes going on, but they're, they're, they're similar and they're microbial transformations.
1: I yeah. Think. And I mean, if you think of it as another reason they, I guess they can be, they can fall into the category of fermentation because usually um, they are pre-fermentation necessary or post-fermentation necessary. Optional, I guess, is how I would probably say it. Just because to make um, miso or other types of fermented foods that are used, where you use um, rice or grains and stuff like that, sake, um, you have to you have to have the koji in the mold to be able to get enough sugars, then that yeast can ferment it into something else, and you can get alcohol from that or um, a fermented product. Uh, The same with vinegar. You start with alcohol, which you would use yeast, and that's a fermentation. And then you have the acetic acid. So it's kind of like, I can, you know, it is a little, still a little backwards, but it still falls in. I guess you can justify it because it falls into that category. It's kind of like piggybacking or helping the other guy out to make something tasty. And,
0: and you can be the scientist and say that, you know, well, it's not technically fermentation, but I, as the fermentation generalist, like I'm just fully, I'll bring in anything that's even close. You know, it's like, as long as it's close, it's, yeah. it's, I'll call it fermentation, but I and mean, by, yeah, and it not, falls
1: into the same category. Yeah.
0: It's a, it, it, it's, it's the little guys doing something good for the food. And, uh, and I guess before we move on from the, the bubbles aspect of it, the aeration, the other interesting uh, note, which is, is worth thinking about. When making this, if a person's trying to alter the speed or otherwise, well, for one, they talked about using a manifold and actually being able to power multiple airstones with the same pump, which would be nice if you don't want to invest in a bunch of pumps, but you wanna aerate multiple batches at the same time. But the thing when you're altering the the strength of each airstone, because one pump is not going to pump at equal spread across many but then when so when you take an air stone that's producing smaller bubbles it will dissolve more oxygen and also you take into effect the depth of the container so a deeper container will will cause uh, the bubbles to rise through more liquid which will also mean there's that more oxygen is dissolved and so then the more oxygen that the acetic acid bacteria have the faster the process so it seems that according to the notes from the Nordic food lab, you know, you make the container deeper. You make the, the, the air stone smaller by like spreading them out. Um, and then, uh, have it go through more liquid all the way to the top. And it's going to make it go even faster. So there's like ways to even tweak, not just get bubbles in it, but like, let's change the containers. Let's do everything else about it. And then, then we can really see what's going to give us the best and ideal kind of thing. And uh, that's, that's the kind of stuff I like about Nordic food lab. And, and that's the stuff that continues in, in part three, they go into the sensory analysis stuff. Did you have much time to look into, into that one? Or did you read that one?
1: Yeah, I read that one. um, And I thought that was, I mean, this is all very, very interesting of different ways of making vinegar. Um, I think the aeration method that they talked about with the stone bubbling and stuff was very interesting, but I really liked the sensory part of um, this study that they did. Um, I, you know, it's very similar. How they did it is very similar to how um, they people train um, or get trained into different wine tastings um, or being able to have a more refined palate in the wine world. So it kind of hit a personal note with me um, that I really thought was cool. Um, and I thought they did a very good job of defining all the descriptors that they were going to use. Um, So they did it for three days, three straight days. And uh, a lot of the notes that they took, so there wasn't just like citrus. Like that's kind of a general term. Citrus can mean a lot of things. They defined it to mean like, well, does it mean lemon peel or orange peel? Um, You know, and kind of coming up with not only just like a generic, like, oh, that smells like rotten fruit. Well, how rotten is it? Is it like yeasty rotten fruit? Is it um, just a bad apple rotten fruit? Is it an apple that's been sitting on the counter for five days? Like they really took the time to um, think about the descriptors instead of just like throwing descriptors out there and just saying that's what it smells like. So I thought that was really a great way of, um, you know, really thinking about not only the fermentation, but also the um, the aromatic aromas that they're producing and how that can affect food and flavor.
0: It's one of those things that I think is important. And I, I, I enjoy getting that deep into studying the, the finished products. But a lot of times I forget it too, because sometimes the food is just about the enjoyment. But this aspect just shows that, well, when... Again, trying to create something novel, trying to create something new or even just new to someone in their home. They, I mean, it's possible to do these same kind of things. It helps to have other people to kind of bounce these ideas off of and come up with these things because it can be kind of difficult to differentiate. What is the difference between one uh, d- like you're talking about with the apples? I mean, what's the difference between a fresh apple and an apple that's sat out to one that's been cut versus one that's what that's been in the refrigerator? They all are going to taste different. And they're all going to taste like apple, but those are not the same apple. And right,
1: so, exactly.
0: And so these vinegars are the same way. I mean, they're not the same vinegars, even if they're using the same ingredients, they're not going to be the same. And that's what they kind of found, too, with with vinegars that ferment faster versus vinegars that have more sugar versus other th- aspects. They're going to create these different things. and And, and overall... After they assembled their trained human panel, they generated those flavor descriptors that you were talking about, and they, they identified which reference standards they wanted to go by. And then re- they replicated these tests over and over amongst their, their panel of, of humans. And then they kind of found, at least overall, that, th- that those that ended up with more residual sugar and that it undergone more stages of fermentation yielded tastier vinegars. So it's worth experimenting with that and kind of following along with what they were talking about in there about how how might most people perceive a vinegar. Um, I guess it makes sense, a little bit more sugar to kind of cut that acetic acid, but also more complexity and flavor would make sense if it had fermented for longer.
1: Well, and um, using different types of microorganisms are going to produce different byproducts and analytes that will have different aromas and flavors and then that also will have an effect on how long you ferment something or not ferment something because certain analytes by, are produced by yeast at different time points during a fermentation. So, you know, if you cut a fermentation short, you may not get that pineapple aroma. Let's just say that or the apple aroma or the rotten fruit aroma that you may or may not be looking for. So I think that that's something to think about too when you're not only making vinegar but – in any type of fermentation, certain types of um, desirable or undesirable aroma flavor compounds are produced at different time points during a fermentation.
0: Are you a rotten fruit kind of vinegar liker?
1: Like, do I, you like that kind
0: of smell in your wines or your vinegars or anything else?
1: I don't I don't like it in my wines I mean like a little bit is okay I think that and they mentioned this too and and that sometimes a little funkiness is okay and that some that people really enjoyed a little like a little bruised apple but not over overpowering bruised apple um, I think it's okay in especially in wine it just adds a little character Um and a little more, it's a little more interesting. Sometimes it's a little hard to put your finger on what it is, and that's what I kind of like about it and the mystery of it. Um, but when it comes to vinegars, I haven't really experimented much with vinegar um, and using different starting ingredients for different types of vinegar. I know in the Nordic Food Lab, they did like celery vinegar, which to me is – I would be really interested in trying – Because to me, celery has such an awful taste and it's so pungent to me that I just don't know how that would taste as vinegar, but it would be interesting. Um, So I, I don't know that much in different styles of vinegar. I've never had a bruised apple vinegar that I can think of.
0: Well, I here, mean, here we, and I know it's a bit of a tangent, but so so far, I'm just kind of trying to keep track over these episodes. So far, we have sour beers, celery, and uh, give or take kimchi, as being the things that Allison does not like, flavor flavor wise. Is that right? Do I have that list right so far?
1: For the most part, yeah.
0: Okay. I'll just keep adding to that. But anyway, yeah, celery vinegar. That sounds very interesting to me as well. I actually like the taste of celery. It's got that kind of weird, odd taste that works sometimes and other times doesn't. Sometimes it stands out too much in a dish and other times it works and blends wonderfully. And so I would definitely rock a celery vinegar if it it worked. And uh, that was like skipping down to part five. They have the recipes for their celery vinegar. And this is where they were kind of breaking it down too, as to what they were doing Because We're not just talking like, we're not just talking one kind of base recipe as I hope that would come across by now. We're not talking one base recipe that is using the same method, just different ingredients. I mean, they use for the celery vinegar. They're using ethanol, uh, additional ethanol method with single acetic fermentation, as opposed to say their strawberry vinegar recipe that they also have an episode or the not episode, uh, the part five of this this blog post the the strawberry vinegar has is double alcoholic and acetic fermentation along with an aquarium bubbler so that's one of their quicker ones and then they have the roasted koji ale vinegar using a triple fermentation fungal sacrific- sacrification alcoholic and acetic along with passive aeration so I mean they're they're definitely they're giving people way different ways to 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 make these different vinegars and it's pretty cool
1: yeah, and I think the you know, personally, I think the just thinking of the flavors that would be coming off of all of these different types, these three different types of vinegars that they give recipes for, I would be really interested in trying the koji ale vinegar more than, um, you know, the strawberry vina- vinegar, I bet that's really good. Um, celery, I'll, I'll give it a try. But I think that I'm most interested in the koji one just because of what we just talked about, how there's so many if you add more you know complex things you're going to get more hopefully more complex flavors and so I think that that would be a really interesting one just to sip on and just taste and just sit and think about what is going on in it whereas the celery vinegar I think I would just take it and taste it and think like okay it tastes like celery tastes a little bit like acetic acid there's maybe not much more going on besides that just because it's and I'm sure it's not bland or lacking flavor. Um, I just don't think it lacks much in I don't know if
0: you'd be what's the going object- on. I don't know if you'd be the objective one on the, the, the human panel of tasters, uh, knowing that you uh, don't like celery. But maybe, hey, maybe you would be swayed. I mean, maybe you could be objective enough and just step back from that. Because maybe you're thinking too much celery. And maybe once it's transformed, it's not really celery anymore. It's...
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be that. It could be transformed into some other um, taste or aroma that I can't even, I don't even know what it is or can't describe because I've never had it before. So, I mean, I am i would be open to it.
0: What do you think of the part four section on uh, on malt vinegars?
1: Um, I thought that that was really interesting. Uh, and I know that we overuse that term a lot. It's very interesting. Um, but I liked it. I When I say it's interesting, I thought it was very interesting to read just because they go into detail about um, how to brew beer. I think this is the one that we talked about, this specific. Oh, um, yeah.
0: You talked about this one before, right? Yeah.
1: I think we specifically talked about this um, one a few weeks ago or a few months ago. Um, it was posted in February. Um and it goes through the fermentation process of making beer very well. Uh, and so I I remember reading this and then I reread it earlier today. Um, and so I thought – I think that this is really inter- in, interesting again in the fact that it goes through a lot of detail and um, a lot of exactly what's happening with the sugars when you're um, boiling your wort and um, when t- – to add hops and dry hops versus unhopped beer, stuff like that. So, um, you know, for anyone that doesn't know a lot about beer brewing or fermentation, this is really, I, as I said a few months ago, it was, it was a pretty good place to start.
0: And it's also, they have the the Koji beer one as well. And and that just is something, this this made malt vinegar sound a lot more exciting. Because when I think malt vinegar is, I don't really, I mean, it's not something I really eat very often or use very often, I guess I'm not a big, uh, what would it be? Fish and chips kind of guy, but, mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it really makes me want to try some of these things. I mean, again, we're back to the Koji stuff. So of course I'm interested in doing that. So I am definitely going to try some of these, these slow malt vinegars. And, and I'm pretty sure that the, the slow malt vinegar experiments are what turned into the rest, uh, the part five sections, the roasted Koji ale vinegar. I'm assuming that that's kind of from all the lessons that they learned in the part four session. But I, I think either way, whatever, all of this is worth reading. And I know we've kind of just skimmed through a lot of it, but it's definitely just dive in deep, try all of these things out. But even if you're not going to try it, even if you're not interested in fermenting with vinegar at all, at least go read all of this stuff just just to, to uh, bask in the, the intensity of study. That's that's going on to try and look at vinegar a little bit different because you can read the science aspects of vinegar or you can go to the Nordic Food Lab and not only look at what uh, the science there is about vinegar, but also maybe what could be done to tweak things and make them a little different.
1: Yeah, they take again something that's kind of humdrum and ordinary and make it into something that's very exciting uh, and again, it's all very well thought out. The process um the timing, the pictures that they use uh is very are are very good um, and I think also, even a, again, kind of piggybacking off of what you said about if you're not interested in making vinegar, I think it is very helpful to read about it because it will help the home fermenter. Um, kind of understand more of what's happening on a molecular level during when they're making their, fer, you know, whatever their fermentation is. Um, because they do kind of go into detail about, um, you know, what's happening on the molecular level for um, yeast, just general yeast fermentation or bacteria fermentation.
0: And I am excited to see also that they have, there will be slime. They have a, a – about three days ago, they put out their post on Vili, which I think they've mentioned before. But so like if I didn't like Nordic Food Lab before, now I just – I absolutely adore it after having seen uh, the whole blog post in-depth article on uh, the Finnish yogurt Vili and Actually, just now looking at it right now, I hadn't even seen this. They actually have an Introducing Vili audio section to it. Sometimes they have like a little podcast E-type. I mean, they don't do a, a regular RSS feed type of podcast, but every once in a while they have recordings. They have something Introducing Vili in both English and in Finnish. I am not, I haven't listened to it, so I don't actually know what it is or how long it is. But definitely check that Vili one out, too. I'm sure that we'll we can... We can do a whole episode on Vili again sometime, and and this will be a great uh, benefit to be able to look into that too deeper. I mean, pretty much anything that you want to do fermentation related, look for the Nerdic Food Lab and see if they've covered it. And uh, they're they're I mean what what is their I I, I forget what's the, going to their our story. They're like a, a self governing organization run on a non not for profit basis, and they were established in two thousand eight. To investigate deliciousness deliciousness and its systems. They explore the raw materials of our region, the flavors that say something about us and imbue the foods we eat with a connection to this place and this time, and this place and this time being the uh, Nordic region. But that's the that's from their about page. I mean they're just it's pretty cool. And they say their research is open source, so they collaborate with projects locally and internationally. I just think that they're 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 pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I think that they do and we talk about them all the time or always seem to reference them every month because they do do a lot of really cool stuff that is very fermentation related um, or not even fermentation related. I think you had mentioned something about um, using blood in place for eggs.
0: I wish Um, we could talk more about that one. I wish it was more on topic, but it's awesome.
1: Yeah, so it's they just have really interesting um science things that are related to food. So, you know, um if you not only enjoy fermentation but just in general the science aspect of food. It's they're they always have something really interesting, very entertaining to read.
0: So, I don't know if this is really the uh the vinegar episode to kind of rehash all their stuff or it's the Nordic Food Lab uh episode because we've been gushing about both. So, Either way, I think that everyone needs to get out and make some vinegar, or read about it at least.
1: Yeah, they've kind of inspired me um, to kind of experiment a little more um, in m- making vinegar or um, using uh, just different techniques um, in fermentation and, and using uh, you know an aquarium stone and trying different surface areas um, to volume stuff like that. Um, because again, like that does make a huge difference in fermentation. Uh, so, you know, it kind of, they can also be a jumping off point for, um, or this vinegar episode can be a jumping off point for other people to explore different ways of fermenting foods.
0: And if we were really, really, really inspired, or I guess that's not really the case. I mean, if, if we had more time, we could actually in three to six days have vinegar and be able to follow up next episode. I don't know if I can commit to that though this week.
1: I, I don't think I can commit to it this week only because um, I have a lot of other things um, happening this week. But it will I will keep everyone updated. And if I do jump on board with the vin- homemade vinegar train, I will definitely let everyone know.
0: Yeah, it's so easy. I mean, you don't have to wait two years like your friend. I mean, three to yeah, six Yeah, and days. I think
1: that was kind of why I was always like, man, I, I know that it doesn't take this long industrially to make vinegar. I mean, I don't know. And I... I know winemakers, they don't even want them to have vinegar and they end up with vinegar, you know, a month later. So I don't, I, I guess I also never really thought much of it. I just thought, Oh, there's your vinegar. I didn't really, I wasn't trying to troubleshoot, um, what was happening with hers.
0: Do, so do winemakers do anything with that? Uh, the accident of turning things into vinegar? I mean, do they then go and sell it?
1: Yeah, they try to sell it to okay. someone who would want something like that. I mean, there's red wine vinegar um, on the market so they may they may try to bottle it and just sell it themselves at their wine shop depending on how big a winery they are um, uh, so at least or it doesn't sell it it to other people
0: It doesn't generally get trashed
1: um, So I think it just depends I think if it's really bad um, and way over the top then they might just dump the dump the vinegar um, or the spoiled wine. Um, and then go through a very intensive cleaning process because acetic acid is very difficult to remove once you have a, an acetic acid in- infection um, because they do want oxygen. So um, you can't really sanitize, kill, and kill them that without um, making some sort of um, removing all of the oxygen. And making an anaerobic environment, so it just uh, um, it's kind of hard to get rid of them once you have that problem.
0: That's on the more industry scale. I'm assuming that if someone's making wine at home, they could probably also make vinegars safely, right?
1: Yeah, I mean you can still do it safely, and um, it mostly happens um, during the uh, barrel from or the barrel aging of red wines and and also white wines too. It just, it can happen at any time. Um, so once you have an acetic acid uh, problem in your barrels, then that's a huge problem because barrels are not – I mean, not only do acetic acid um, thrive in an, an oxygen-rich environment, um, which is hard to create an anaerobic environment in, in, a, in a barrel like that, but because the barrel is also really porous um, the bacteria can hide and harbor themselves into the wood grain of the barrel. Same with Britannomyces, which is a type of yeast, and that's a problem with winemakers sometimes. Um, if they have a really bad brett infection, um, it's hard to get rid of them too because they tolerate um, oxygen as well. and they're... but. Britannomyces is really very, very slow growing. So that's also, you know, that's kind of a side note, but it's also a problem for winemakers once they have a problem once they have that kind of problem. Usually then um I think if they can't get rid of um once they get rid of the the bad wine, um, I think the barrels themselves, if they can't clean them and sanitize them well enough, they try to sell those barrels um to breweries because they can use those barrels for aging. Um, sour beers and lambic style beers which is kind of a new thing that's going on but that's way off topic
0: that's awesome though I, I just like it's the circle of fermentation
1: mm-hmm. yeah so it gets reused um, and it doesn't go to waste and um, so it's kind of cool that you know people there are there there is a class of people or an industry where people are always looking for new ways to reuse things and stuff like that so.
0: which is good no waste no need for waste no waste, waste. yeah So uh, I think that uh, pretty much wraps up our vinegar, vinegar, the Nordic Food Lab uh, way of vinegar.
1: Yes, uh, I believe so, too.
0: uh, And so I guess if you would like to see any of these show notes, you can find them at firmup.com slash podcast slash 61. And you can also reach us on Twitter at firmup, Facebook at firmup, Pinterest at firmup, anywhere at firmup. And until next time, firmup.